Why don't you look in your book? I'm just going to talk to you tonight if the Lord um, does what he wants to do. That's up to him always. But I want you to look, if you would, to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. I'm going to start reading in verse number 27. This is just after Jesus had dealt uh, with the rich young ruler and how he, because of his great possessions, had decided to stay the way that he was and go the way that he was going and was not interested in what Jesus had offered him. And then Peter speaks up here in verse number 27. I am not going to end at uh, the 30th verse of this chapter. I'm going to read into the next chapter a little bit. Matthew chapter 19 and verse number 27. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. Many that are first shall be last. And the last shall be first. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. He said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. Again, he went out about the sixth and ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his stewards, Call the laborers and Give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. When they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the good man of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and heat of the day. Now, those two or three verses there, they kind of remind me. I went to school, but it was a long time ago, and I hated math class. I took algebra. I took geometry. I took algebra in college, state college. I hated math. There's a one good saved man in the whole building said amen to that. And the thing I hated more than anything else about math was word problems. They were so dumb. There'd be a little, you know, Bobby would have 10 apples. And Bobby would get on the bus. And then Jimmy had six apples, and Jimmy got on the bus. So Jimmy gave Larry two apples, and Bobby gave Jimmy what color was the bus. Now that's how, 
That's how stupid they were to me. Made no sense at all. Verse 13. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? Take that thine is and go thy way. I will give unto this last even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? So the last shall be first and the first last. For many be called, but few are chosen. Father in heaven, we thank you for these good days and evenings that we've been able to spend our time in this room with God's people and God's music and God's book and God's help. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to recognize that every one of us in this room one day that's saved will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. When we stand there, we'll have no opportunity whatsoever, no chance to change anything. What will have been done is done. May we realize tonight that this is the dressing room for eternity. This is where whatever we do is done in this life. I don't think any of us when we get to heaven are going to brag about quote unquote our accomplishments. Some may have more stars in their crowns, but all of our crowns will be cast at your feet. I don't think we'll go and pick them back up and put them in the trophy room of our mansion. I don't even think we'll have one of those in our mansion. For the only one will be worshiped and praised and honored in glory will be our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray you'd help us, though, to work as hard as we can and labor as faithfully as possible to bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ from our lives. And I ask it in his name. I want to talk to you tonight on this topic for just a few minutes. We are his. So what else really matters? We belong to him. So what else matters? Now, I only have three points to my message. Two of them are really short. If I stopped there, we'd be out of here in less than 10 minutes. But the third one is about three times as long as those two put together. So we'll be here a couple of minutes more. I want you to initially to consider this. Don't worry about what other people have. See, the theme of the complaint that's registered in verses 10 and verses 11 of chapter 20 is that it's not fair. 
I worked all day. I labored early in the morning when the dew was on the ground. I labored through the heat of the day. And these other guys, some of them showed up just before supper. I've worked all day. I ought to get a whole lot more. When we compare ourselves with ourselves or when we compare ourselves with others, we are not wise. And really, these people are complaining. In verse 11, the Bible says they murmured against a good man. They had negative things to say about him. Now, you can also conclude from chapter 19 and verse number 27 that Peter was shrouding his question or shrouding his criticism in a question. Peter said, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? You you know, if you get one guy complaining and he talks to uh, five fellows there in the front row and three over there in the uh, young people's amen corner. When you sit over there, you have to say amen every once in a while. You know that, don't you? That's just, that's the price you paid for sitting there. But it won't be long. They'll all have the same criticism. And that's what Peter said, we. You don't see any of the other disciples coming. Maybe they discussed it and Peter was dumb enough to bring it up. I, I don't know. But we always bring others into our conspiracies of criticism. I just want to say to you tonight, I'm glad life isn't fair. For if we got what we deserved, we'd all be in hell tonight. There's been a couple testimonies by people out through the audience. I, I couldn't see everybody and They were thanking God that they were saved. I don't know the pit from which they were digged. I don't know the rock from which they were hewn. But other people in the building, you probably know uh, where they came from. And thank God, thank God, all of us have been picked up by his grace. Should have considered another thing just quickly. Don't get upset how God deals with his own. When I say that, don't get upset how God deals with other people and we think that we are better than them or we deserve more than them or we're not getting uh, what's fair coming our way. A.W. Tozer, I I got a book, I think. Did I send you the big book about Leonard Ravenhill? Did I send you that big book? Um, In that book, uh, A.W. Tozer and I didn't know this until I read the book, Ravenhill would hold revivals for Tozer when Tozer pastored in Chicago, Illinois. And uh, he said this. He had Leonard Ravenhill preaching for him one day, and uh, Ravenhill made this statement. It is sickening to see the children of heaven acting like the sons of earth. That's a convicting little sentence to me. It is sickening to see us who are saved acting like people of this earth. God help us. 
The great thing tonight, we are his. We belong to Jesus, and Jesus belongs to us. Now, it's interesting to me, too. Those first guys that went to work early in the morning, the Bible says they agreed, verse 2, when he had agreed with the labor. They'd made, a, they'd made a contract. They'd, they'd made a deal. This is what, I'm going to work all day. You're going to give me this. Penny a day. That was a salary back in those days. They didn't have unions back then. They didn't have uh, suggestion boxes. You just went to work. The other guys that went to work, he just told them whatever's fair. They worked with no guarantee. They trusted the Lord of the harvest that he would do what was right. You know, I think sometimes we get our eyes more on the prize than we do the purpose in serving God. I think sometimes we become barterers instead of believers. You know, God, if you do this, then I'll do that. God, if you'll save my loved one, then I'll do this. And you give me this to take care of this. And I, No, that's not the way to live your life. We live our lives by faith. You remember in your book, uh, they had a, a week or so after the resurrection, Jesus showed up in the upper room where the disciples were. And Thomas wasn't there. And so I don't know when it was, what the, the Bible's not exact about that particular part, and I don't know when, I don't know when Thomas showed up, you know, a day or so later, and he got to talking with the, you said, you're not going to believe it, Jesus showed up. He said, I don't believe that. I'm not going to believe it unless I can put my fingers in the palms of his hand, put my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe it. Well, a week or so later, they're back there, and Jesus shows up. And he, Jesus said, all right, here I am. And he said, I believe, I believe. And Jesus made a tremendous statement there that's always been an encouragement to me since I've been saved. He said, blessed are those that believe, though they've never seen. And I've never seen him. But I'm going to tell you something tonight. I believe in him. May God help us to serve. You know, if we never get another blessing... If God never shows up another time, may God help us just to keep on serving him without any sustainable or substantial or observable means of blessing. Just keep on keeping on for God. You see, every one of us got more than we deserve already. Now, Jesus said to Peter, and we're not going to get this. You know, we're going to, they, they're going to, the disciples, they're going to sit on 12 thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. We're not going to fool. That's not going to be part of our assignment when we get to heaven. But everyone that's forsaken, and he talks about houses, brethren, sisters, father, mother, wife, children, lands, and namesake, shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. I'll be frank with you. If I get to heaven, and we go to the big meltdown, and we're judged, and all I got is maybe just a handful of ashes, and I look around in there, and I find maybe a little nugget of something. 
That's going to be great. But I'm still going to have everlasting life. Everlasting life. Compared to the opposite. I'll tell you, we'll be shouting all over glory for that. Then I want you to think about this. I'm going to spend a little time here just because I got stories to tell. Don't give in to self-deception. I think chapter 20 and verse number 16 is a great equalizer. The last shall be first and the first last, for many be called but few chosen. Now, I've talked about these people in several sermons, and I've been here uh, so many times, but, uh, and I've wrote down some things that I know I haven't talked to you about ever before, and there's about six or eight illustrations here, so I'm just going to use the new one, so hopefully I don't do some retread. But I was preaching in Philadelphia uh, last year sometime. I don't remember exactly uh, when it was. And I, uh, just a few days before uh, the meeting, and I, I don't like this. It upsets me. I, I, it, it makes, it really, I kind of get in the flesh. Just confess, you know, for having a confession meeting, I'm confessing. But just a couple of days before the meeting, the preacher called me on the phone. He said, now, I'm going to have uh, another preacher with you. And I, don't, I said, well, who is he? he called, I didn't know the guy. I didn't know him from Adam's house cat. I didn't know who the guy was. And uh, I said, well, you know, it's your church. It's your business. And I'm thinking, you know, it's hard to have a revival meeting when you got two guys. And it, it, You know, you remember an old preacher that uh, in our part of the country named Jim White? Your dad would remember him a lot. Yeah, he was a great soul. Now, him and I, we preached 250 nights together way back in the day. We preached revivals together. Jim, bar none, was the most humorous preacher I have ever heard in my life. And if you get real depressed one day, you can go on to uh, whatever, on, what, what do you, what's that little thing you put, what do you call that? Not online, what do you call it? YouTube, yeah, YouTube. And you, I don't, I'm not, I don't, I'm not hep on that kind of stuff. But you can go on YouTube and you put in Jim White. And if you get him at the Charity Baptist Church in Dayton, Ohio, he tells his seven most humorous stories in one sermon. And you would think he's lying, but he ain't lying. He is not embellishing. He's not making them what Listen, he's, he's cutting them way back so you won't think he's absolutely insane. But I tell you right now, he was absolutely insane. <laughs> Dear brother, he's in heaven now, been there a while but he was just a, a great soul. But uh, him and I, we, we could preach together, and he was a little bit, he was pretty funny, and I didn't have to be funny. I could just be mean, and so we, we worked pretty good together for, I mean, a long, long time. I love him. I still love him. Uh, his daughter, his oldest daughter, I was so shocked. She came to my father's funeral, and she, she walked right up to me like this and said, Hello, brother. Tim and I said how are you she said you don't know who I am do you I said no I don't I'm sorry I probably hadn't seen her in 20-25 years but I loved Jim he was just a great great soul I don't even know what I'm talking about now I'm talking about oh so I got there and I didn't like the guy I'll be frank I didn't like him at all the guy was a and your pastor knows who he is and he I don't think your pastor likes him either so that when two or three agree is touching anything, it's so. 
<laughs> you don't want to be pulled into this? Well, later on in the week, and I talked to him. I'm, you know, I can get along with people, and I kind of talked to him and went, you know, and he gave me his testimony. It was a blessing. And we had good fellowship, and he asked me some good questions, and I answered him, and I took a little bit of advice, and he called me a couple of times since. Matter of fact, he called me three or four weeks ago, asked me about something. But anyway, he gave me a little book. And the book was called Alone with God. It was a book written by uh, Richard Wormbrand. And Richard, Richard Wormbrand was in a Romanian concentration camp uh, for a long, long time, I think 17 years. And three of those 17 years, he was in solitary confinement. Never saw another face for three solid years. Terrible circumstance difficult beyond uh, anything that I could even understand but while he was in that solitary confinement for all those years he got to preaching uh, sermons to God because he felt like God was the only audience that he had and God was there with him so he would preach these messages to God and he put them in poetry form so that he could remember them. When he got out of prison eventually, he, uh, he was able to remember them. The, the book's not written in poetry form, but he wrote these sermons that he preached to God Almighty. Some of the most convicting things I've ever read in my life. He came here to America, testified before Congress many years ago. And it kind of tells you Congress wasn't all that great many years ago. But he came to Congress, testified what was going on in Romania, and one of the imbeciles that was a senator said, uh, we don't believe that. Wormbrand took his coat off, pulled his shirt off, and showed the marks of the whip on his upper torso to those godless men that sat up there and would poo-poo a man of God who suffered. How in the world, how in the world are we, I, I haven't suffered like that. I've been spit on one time in my life for the cause of Christ. Just one time. I've never had anybody beat me for the cause of Christ. I've never been in solitary confinement for the cause of Christ. It may come before we're done, I don't know. But don't give in to the self-deception that because somebody's done this and you've, we're all going to get a penny. We're all going to get a penny. We're all going to have a crown to throw at his feet. We'll all have that opportunity. And I think we, you know, there's a song, I wish I had given him more. I wish I had done more. I don't know if it was the first time I ever heard that song, but close to the, the first time I ever heard it when it really got a hold of my heart. I was in the Bahamas preaching. I used to go to the Bahamas every December and January. If you lived in Michigan, you'd go down south too. You'd go to the Bahamas if you had the chance. I was down there in that little church in North Eleuthera, wonderful missionary friend of mine. He's in heaven now. And uh, just a great soul. And three women got up one day 
And they sang that song, Black Women. Uh, tears flowing down their ebony cheeks. I'd been in one of those ladies' homes. She had a dirt floor. It was as clean as a dirt floor could possibly be. They had outside facilities. She had an outside clay oven that she cooked her meals on. And they sang, I wished I could had given him more. People who had far less wished they had given him more. Somebody sent me a book, I don't even know who it was, last year sometime called The Insanity of God. It's kind of a strange title. To be honest with you, I was a little put off by the title. But it was called The Insanity of God. And it was a story of a, he doesn't even use his real name. Use a pseudonym. But he uh, went to Somalia. He got saved in Kentucky and got called to the mission field. And he went to Somalia. He was there for 20 years, didn't do anything. Never really learned the language. Never won anybody to Christ. He buried his 14-year-old boy who had an asthma attack. He came back totally and completely defeated. He uh, floundered around Kentucky for about a year, and I don't know where he got the funds, but he decided to travel the world, and he wanted to meet Christians who were behind the Iron Curtain, or had been. And so he went to uh, Russia, USSR, at the time, and he went there, and he met some Christians, and this one and that one. They finally got him to some people that he had suffered greatly. Uh, one of the men had been in concentration camp, I think, uh, for 15 years, and beaten, ridiculed, every day for 15 years. All of, There was about 14 to 1,500 prisoners in, this, in his particular camp. He was in a solitary uh, cell, no one else with him. Every, everyone was alone. He would come out of his cell every morning, they would have to stand there. And uh, called this man, uh, Dimitri. They didn't use anybody's real name. He said every morning that man would come out and lift his hands and sing a hymn of praise to God. Other prisoners would laugh, scoff. The guards would be mad. They'd take the butt of their rifles and knock him down, drag him off, beat him. Every day for 15 years. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Every day. One day they came. They all came to his cell, drug him out. Everyone knew they were taking him off to kill him. They'd had enough. They'd beaten him off. They wanted to beat him, I guess, and going to put him before a firing squad and kill him. Nearly 1,400 plus, maybe 1,500 Men, there were rapists and crooks and political prisoners and none of the rest of them were even Christians. But when they started to haul Dimitri off, all those other men in that prison stepped outside their cell, lifted up their hands and sang, All hail the power of Jesus' name. It so flummoxed those guards those officials, they didn't know what to do. 
Within three days, they let him go free. Get this guy out of here. How, how, how are we going to, how's that going to work out? I mean, we, we can't even take somebody at work making fun of us. We pass out a track and somebody crumbles it up and throws it on the ground. We have a pity party for ourselves. Had another story in there. He got done with Russia. He went to China. And he didn't, you know, Shanghai and Beijing, you know, there's just mammoth, mammoth cities, gigantic, millions of people. I mean, 20s and 30s and millions of people live in those great cities. He went way out in the bush. China's gigantic. And he was there in a place, and there was a Christian, and they somehow got the news around. And they had 150 pastors come to hear him talk. So we talked a little bit and gave him, tried to encourage him a little bit. And he got done, he opened it up for questions. And so someone asked a question, and through the interpreter, uh, he, this man from America was told that the question is, does everyone in America have their own Bible? Does everyone in America have a copy of the Word of God for themselves? He said, of course. He said, most Christians have more than one. They have several Bibles. So the interpreter said to the 150 pastors, oh, they, most Christians in America have multiple Bibles. And they all began to weep. He saw them weeping. He didn't know why they were weeping. He didn't know what the guy had said to him. He said, what, what did, that, did I offend him? I say something. They said, he said, no. He said, but out of those 150 pastors, they have one Bible. And they meet every 30 days. And they take a page. They've, they've torn their Bible into just the pages. And he gets a page. 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 And they go back and they preach for 30 days from that Bible, that page. And then they come back. And they get another page, and they share pages. One Bible for 150 preachers. I would be, it would easily be a conservative statement tonight that out of this crowd of people, we own hundreds of Bibles. Hundreds! But we didn't have time to read it today, did we? Sat in the back seat since last night. I got tied up. I, I didn't have time to open the pages of this blessed book today. God help us. I got preacher friends across this country. Serious situation. I preach a meeting. I started a meeting two Sundays, not next Sunday, but the next Sunday. Church, 12 people. If there's 12 there, I'll, I'll be shocked. It's in Iowa. It's a long way to go. 
They don't have a lot of money. They don't. They don't. I'm not going to say that. But he called me on the phone. He said, will you come? I've been sick. I got sick. I got uh, pneumonia last fall. I've been sick. I'm still kind of sick. My wife really thinks I'm sick. She doesn't want me to do as much this year. Take, me, take it easy. It's hard. I had a guy call me today. I booked another thing today. I, I'm not going to tell her till I get home. She's got flowers coming, I think, tomorrow or the next day for Mother's Day. That'll help me, I think. A little bit, not much, but a little bit. But uh, I can't say no. I, you know, I could say no if it's a guy running a 1,000 and he had a lot of money. But I can't say no to a guy with 12. doesn't I've been there before I just can't say no I got a dear preacher friend right now he's got dementia he had to step down from his pulpit he buried two of his sons recently grown son and one was ran over by a car the other one died in his bed in his 20s, maybe early 30s. My pastor friend decided to, I preached in that church when there was 400 people there. That church is about as deep as this and two wings on the side. He had a, one of the dumbest things. Now, you know, you ask me questions every once in a while. One of the dumbest things a pastor could ever do is have a vote of confidence. That is a dumb thing to do. He had a vote of confidence. Everybody for me, sit down. Everybody against me, stand up. Two-thirds of the congregation stood up. He got mad. He said, get out of here. And they did. They did. They left. He started the church from scratch uh, close to 50 years ago, right out of Bible college. Now he's got dementia. Now he's had to step down from pastoring. I preached, his wife called me on the phone and said, Preacher, can you call my husband? Can you, any way you can come for a meeting? This was two years ago, I guess. I went up there, there's 40 people. And the only reason there was 40 a night was because another church came and brought 20 each night. Don't give in to the self-deception. Because you have this, and you don't, and you, you know, everyone's going to get a penny. God's going to even it all out. I'm not going to argue. Well, Lord, I won X number of souls, and I did this, and I, we're not. That's not the attitude of the redeemed, who recognize we don't deserve to be there anyway. It's by His grace. We got to somehow figure out whether we serve God because He loves us or we serve God because we love Him. I think Peter's attitude a little bit was what am I going to get out of this? <laughs> That's a dumb way to look at it. 
The way to look at it is by grace. We're all going to get a penny. Whether we work an hour or whether we work 12 hours, God's going to even it all out. I wish I could sing. I used to be able to sing, but can't sing anymore. But if I could sing, I'd sing this old song. Sometimes on the mount where the sun shines so bright, God leads his dear children along. Sometimes in the valley, in the darkest of night, God leads his dear children along. And some through the water, and some through the flood, some through the fire, but thank God all through the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song in the night season and all the day long. We serve a good God. We have a great Savior. And we have an indwelling Holy Spirit. God help us to live like we ought to live. God help us to labor like we ought to labor. God help us just to be faithful. Father, we thank you for these few minutes tonight. I don't have any doubt the people in this room love you. And I don't even have a shadow of a doubt that you love everybody in this room. There's lost people here tonight. You love them. I'll say, people, we know you love us. The question is, do we love you? like we ought to love you. I read in Matthew chapter 5 today, Jesus said, he said, ye have heard, thou shalt not kill. But I say unto you, if you're angry with your brother, if you're angry with your brother, we say we love him. But are you angry with your brother? He said, thou shalt, you, you heard that thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, if you look on a woman to lust after, and you know the rest of that. We've heard some things and we think, no, we, that's how we think we're going to run our life. But I think Jesus raises the level a little bit or a lot of bit. May God help us to be what we are.